it's funny ck told me to get a new chair <laughs> because it's always popping and squeaking in these recordings and these live streams but isn't that a bitcoin meme you're not supposed to waste money on a chair you're supposed to stack sats anyway okay let's get going here going live three two one what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of bitcoin and markets my name is ansel lindner and today I'm going to go through a few current events in Bitcoin, talk about Chokepoint 2.0, how that is going, uh, quickly look at Paxful, uh, they shut down, going to go through an article real quick on that. And then I'm going to be mainly looking at this idea of slowing credit creation through loan provisions from banks, tightening credit standards and also falling demand for loans in general. So. Let me share my screen and get a move on here. For those watching on YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch, what you're seeing is BitcoinandMarkets.com. This is where you go to subscribe to get my weekly free newsletter, as well as get email notifications of all the content that I drop. Uh, this morning was the, a premium letter, Market Pro number 10, and it was about the coming oil glut, looking at historical oil gluts and how these, this period compares. You know, I also do a deep dive on the recent OPEC announcement of their production cut. What does that mean for the price of oil? And in general, where is the oil market right now? And what can we learn from that in a macro kind of situation? So, uh, and also an update on the Bitcoin price. So we'll see where this ends up. I did put a couple things here. Let me... Stop sharing that. I'm going to share a window, go into Telegram. And one thing that I shared this morning in Telegram, uh, I have a couple charts here on the 10 year. Let's pull this one up first. Real quick break in on the edit, guys. You can find all these charts on the post for this episode, bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E340. These red stair, stair steps are the Fed funds. It doesn't, they don't really matter. You can see the 10 year was above and starting to go up before the Fed raised rates. And this was due to loose money, fiscal spending, stimmy checks, all of that was flooding trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars were flooding into the economy. This was CPI led spending. As CPI went up, initially margins look good, right? For biz, that's one, one reason why inflation is detrimental because it creates false price signals within the economy. Businesses think they're actually making more money, but no, it's because inflation is going up and they can charge a little bit more. Profit margins might be a little bit higher initially, then they go out and get more loans or whatever. And we'll take a look at that in one of these charts coming up here in a second. But uh, you can see money was loose and all this fiscal spending drove the 10-year higher. Then it, when was this? About September, October of last year, something changed. Money started getting tighter. There was less fiscal spending from the government. Uh, no stimmy checks. All that stimulus was had run out. CPI had peaked. Remember back in June of 2022, CPI had peaked and demand destruction was setting in. So this is where we kind of find ourselves. If we go to the previous image here, now this one, is showing the 10-year like we just looked at. Um, anything above this kind of gray box where it has been an equilibrium, roughly what I'm calling equilibrium, 
it the economy was signaling, you know, it was feeling like it was growing and money was getting slightly easier. But as it falls out of this gray box, the economy is slowing and money is getting tighter. So maybe as we move forward, we find a new lower level, a new lower kind of equilibrium, maybe around 3%. Who knows how far down it can go. But I do not expect a imminent collapse. I think we might have some sort of market event here, some last bits of contagion coming into the headlines. But Q1 is over. Uh, the contagion from Q1 should be pretty much over. And the next big calendar date here that we need to watch out for is the end of Q3. So from today to the end of Q3, I think that we are going to see a rally in pretty much everything. We're seeing a little bit of rally here in bonds, stocks, and Bitcoin. So uh, everything is kind of working out the way I have been describing on this show for the last year. Okay, let's stop sharing that. And let's go back into, okay, so headline here, marketplace packs full to shut down amid legal battle with co-founder. Peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace packs full has announced that it will shut down, directing users to retrieve their funds from its platform. Quote, this will probably come as a shock to many, Paxful co-founder and CEO Ray Youssef said, wrote in a blog post, all customer funds are accounted for, please withdraw them, and if you can, self-custody. Okay, the blog post cited key staff departures and regulatory challenges for the industry, but Youssef said during a Twitter space on Tuesday that the decision to close the platform was also influenced by a lawsuit brought by a Paxful co-founder who is suing Paxful and Yusuf after being kicked out of the company more than a year ago. So problems for Paxful, but this is not, again, like I've written about and talked about on the show. Yes, this was mainly, I think it was Bitcoin only. They might've had Tether as well. I'm not sure. I never really used Paxful, but this is not like they, the regulatory burden or someone was coming after them from the government. A co-founder sued them after being kicked out of the company. So, um, this is not a ding on Bitcoin at all. Uh, this is not a ding on the Bitcoin space. This is a personal issue that Paxful is running into. And I don't know how successful Paxful was uh, in, in the first place. So I think things like Swan and Cash App and other places, Bitcoin only places where you can uh, stack your sats was much, much more popular. So I don't know how much of an influence is going to have or impact this is going to have on the space but it is an interesting development. Okay, next one, next thing up here I have is uh, Corey Clipson was on a podcast and he described Operation Choke Point 2.0. A lot of what he says here is exactly what I've been saying uh, for the last few months, but of course, Corey is super articulate, uh, eloquent, and he puts it together very succinctly in this clip. So I wanted to play this. Uh, remember. Operation Choke Point is for crypto scams, not for Bitcoin. Just like I talked about there with Paxful, um, Bitcoin-only companies are relatively safe, relatively insulated from everything that's been going on. So, okay, let's have this uh, go here. 
regulators are going down pretty hard on the crypto industry in the US, especially on the connections between the crypto industry and the banking system. A lot of people call it the Operation Shock Point 2.0 uh, as this sort of uh, coordinated attack on crypto in the US. Yeah. Do you see uh, this coordinated attack happening? Do you agree with this view? It's not coordinated by some group of people like plotting some kind of, you know, effort to s snuff out crypto. There's plenty of banks that want to that want to serve normal businesses that have good operations. Uh, what I think is happening is there's a backlash that obviously would happen as all of these scams and all of this mismanagement is uncovered. So, you know, basically the, the outright fraud of Celsius and Alameda FTX, the dramatically inept and incompetent risk management of Gemini, Genesis, uh, Three Hours Capital was both scamming and mismanaging uh, Voyager and BlockFi, dramatic mismanagement and tons of marketing misrepresentations, you know, kind of false marketing. And so you can brand it Operation Chokepoint 2.0 if you want to, but that's generally going to be kind of a, you know, kind of a self-serving label put on something to make it seem like there's a bad guy that's trying to do something to you when it's really just kind of a, a collection of actions that would naturally have occurred regardless of whether it's coordinated or not. So it's kind of crypto blockchain VCs pushing the idea of Operation Chokepoint 2.0, making it sound like that's something that's like branded and organized, but really it's just, wow, the, the non-Bitcoin shitcoin industry dramatically fucked up and blew up and lost everybody tons, billions of dollars worth of money and exposed themselves uh, for being full of scams. And of course there was going to be backlash. All right. Thanks to Reed for sending that in. Appreciate that. That was very well said. Let's move on to our next story here. Let's keep it going. Zero Hedge. This is a premium article. I'll, of course, link to everything that I talk about here in the show notes. I try to put it everywhere where the podcast apps will pick it up, um, where YouTube picks it up, stuff like that. But I also, when I put these out as a podcast version, uh, I do have a post, associated post on my website with all of these links. Plus, you're going to get these if you are in the Telegram group. So check that out, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. Okay, the headline is U.S. economy grinds to a halt as loan demand sales crater in aftermath of bank crisis. We've talked about this. You know, banks are where money is printed, not at the Fed, not at with government spending, but it is in the private sector with private banks making loans into the economy. That's where money is printed today. Uh, so it's very, very important to see this loan demand credit standards from the banks. This is what is important. So let's read through this story. Over a month before Silicon Valley Bank collapsed on March 9th, sparking the deepest U.S. banking crisis since the Lehman bankruptcy, we reported that loan demand was plunging while bank lending standards were approaching the tightest levels on record. And I covered this too on FedWatch, as well as on this show. If you guys are new to my content, I do FedWatch with Bitcoin Magazine, Thursdays at 1230 Eastern on all their channels. Uh, but let's take a closer look at this sluice reporting tightening standards chart. I believe it's this first one. You can see if we could zoom in on the very far right of this chart where you have this big spike in 2020, huge dive in 2021, and now a big spike again. So tightening standards going up. These are the number of domestic respondents of tightening lending standards for, for commercial industrial loans to loans to small firms, credit card loans, construction loans, 
new auto loans, multifamily, non-farm residential loans. There's all sorts of different loans in here. And you can see they all pretty much tighten at the same time in 2020. And in 2021, they collapse. Now, if we went back to the 10-year treasury and we looked at rising, the rising rate on the 10-year, remember what I say about the interest rate fallacy and why interest rates rise. It's not because the Fed raises rates. It's because money is becoming looser, easier in the economy. And what does this chart show? During 2021, tightening standards loosened dramatically. And what happened to the 10-year? It rose. The yield on the 10-year rose. Then late 2021, it looks like in this chart, um, around middle of the year, remember, June was this, the peak of, actually, June of 2022 was the peak of CPI. But uh, this is showing at the end of 2021, you had then tightening standards beginning to turn around and getting tighter again. And what have we seen then in the 10-year? We've seen a peak and now a falling of rates. Rates will fall as credit becomes tighter. This is a very, very important concept to understand. Interest rates fall naturally as credit standards tighten and demand for loans goes down. Most people think that, oh, rates are going down. That means people will borrow more. It makes sense with housing, right? As rates go down, the affordability of your house payment goes up or whatever. So your monthly payments will go down. So the affordability of a certain amount of loan is cheaper every month. So the affordability of the house comes become or the affordability of the house goes up as rates go down. So people do borrow more in the case of housing, but they don't necessarily borrow more in the case of auto loans or commercial industrial loans or to loans to small firms, land development, et cetera, et cetera. As rates are rising, that means more people are borrowing. Pretty much credit standards are going down and demand for loans is going up. There's credit expansion. As rates turn around and start going down, that means credit standards are tightening and demand is going down. All right, let's go on to the next part of this article, share back this tab. And as we have noted frequently over the past month, the great fear, one also shared by Jamie Dimon and myself, is that the ongoing bank run and near-death experience of regional banks will force small and mid-sized banks to further tighten lending standards as they enter survival mode and hunker down, effectively grinding all new loan issuance to a halt all new loan issuance to a halt. That means credit creation is stopping, but guess what's not stopping? Repayment. People are going to continue to pay down their debt. They're just not taking out new debt. So what does that mean? Net credit creation is negative. Deflation. Net money supply in the form of money printed by banks in the process of making a loan is going down. That's deflationary. The deflationary pressure is all around us. Okay, let's continue. That's a problem because as we know, as we also discussed previously, banks with less than $250 billion in assets are responsible for roughly 50% of consumer, or sorry, commercial and industrial lending, 60% of residential real estate lending, 80% of commercial real estate lending, and 45% of consumer lending. And with key segments of the economy locked out of critical lines of funding, GDP will crater and U.S. will spiral into a recession, just as the inflation-fighting Fed 
ordered. Well, the Fed didn't cause this, okay? The Fed did not cause this. Unfortunately for the Fed, the central bank won't know until early May or one month from now when the next senior loan of the sluice lending practices is published, what the impact of the bank failures has been on loan issuance. However, just like we don't have to wait until the next retail sales report to know the U.S. consumer spending has fallen off a cliff since the banking crisis began, we likewise already know what is going on behind the scenes when it comes to loan issuance. First, Recall that last week, that real-time credit card spending data from the likes of Citi showed that the third week of March and the first week after America's regional banks imploded, quote, was the biggest decline in total retail spending we have seen since the pandemic began. All right, so last week after, or two weeks ago, after all of these regional banks started exploding and having problems, SVB, Signature, First Republic, you know, on and on these other ones. And of course, Credit Suisse was in there on the European side. This was the biggest decline in total retail spending that they've seen since the pandemic with credit cards, uh, which is a pretty big statement. I have a more clear image of this chart as well. Let's zoom in on this a little bit. And you can see the blue line total retail. Oh, let me show this tab. Total retail spending year over year is diving. It's negative 10%. And total retail spending X food is about on this chart about negative 13%. Huge, huge, huge deal, guys. This is the economy that we're looking at right here. Okay, let's continue with this. Is there a comparable real time equivalent to loan demand and standards? One which will save us the one month wait until the next sluice report? Conveniently, the answer is yes. And it comes courtesy of the Dallas Fed's latest banking condition survey, which had the following ominous conclusion. Quote, loan demand declined for the fifth period in a row as bankers in the March survey reported worsening business activity. Loan volumes fell, driven largely by a sharp contraction in consumer loans. Credit standards and terms continued to tighten sharply and marked rises in loan prices pricing were also noted over the reporting period. Banking outlooks continued to deteriorate, with contracts expecting a contraction in loan demand and business activity in an increase in non-performing loans over the next six months and an increase in non-performing loans. Some contracts cited waning consumer confidence from recent financial instability as a concern. And this is kind of the wow chart. Let me bring this up. So this top left quadrant here, total loan volume, negative 18%. Wow. Here's loan volume by type right under that. Everything negative. The green one, consumer loan volume, negative 33 on this survey. That is incredible. The least bad is commercial and industrial loan volume at negative 14.9. This is crazy, people. All right, let's get back to the story. Actually, let's just look at a couple more of these charts because I'm running out of time. Uh, The next one is this chart. Global syndicated loan sales fall to lowest since 2010. So this is global via Bloomberg in this article that we're going through. Blue is the U.S., Europe, Asia, Canada, Middle East, 
and Africa and Latin America. Now I'll note something. On this last Q1 of 2023, the European sliver crashed way more than I think any other sliver. Asia's went down, so did the U.S.'s, but the European sliver, it looks like to be about a third, where the U.S. looks to be still about two-thirds of Q4 of last year, Asia, maybe even 75% of Q4's volumes here. But you can see that issuance across all regions drop as borrowing costs rise. So this is the lowest since 2010 globally for loan issuance, for money printing. Money printing is the lowest in the private sector globally since 2010. Let that sink in. Has nothing to do with QE. It has nothing to do with government stimulus. This is private sector printing. All right, guys, that's where I'm going to leave it for today. Thank you for joining me. My name is Ansel Lindner. Uh, thank you for hanging out on this Wednesday. If you like the content, come by tomorrow or the next day. Uh, I do these live streams pretty much daily. Thursday is FedWatch with Bitcoin Magazine, 1230 Eastern Time. So check that out on their YouTube and Rumble channels. They also go on Twitch and Facebook Live and all sorts of other things. So uh, check that out. Um, also check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. That's my home base. I have premium content there. I have free content there. And lastly, I'm going to plug my guys over on Telegram. I think it is very high signal. We, you know, we're not, you're not bombarded with just crypto 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 or bitcoin 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 it is a hardcore bitcoin and macro channel so check out t.me forward slash bitcoin and markets all right guys see you on the next one bye